Good morning, guys. I'm happy to hear like laughter and talking and movement because it means you're actually you're actually awake. Like it's good that the meeting was a little bit later because everybody kind of has had a chance to pep up a bit, which is good because Sunday morning is usually what we like to call as camp speakers the graveyard shift. So I'm happy. Um, I'm happy that everybody's everybody's chill. Um, just before we kick off, just want to pray really quickly and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another beautiful day that you've given us, Lord, um, with, with health and um, with friendship and with family and with fellowship, Lord, and with you, Lord. I just pray that we would be open and receptive to hearing your word, Lord, that we would be encouraged and that we'd go forth from this place um, closer to you than we were before, Lord, more excited about life with you than we were before, Lord Jesus. So we just pray that you would speak to each of our hearts, Lord, and that these words would stick with us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The title of this camp was Reboot, and I thought it was really interesting because I, whoever designed it, I don't know, probably the social media team, they put that little on button uh, in, in the, the, the word. And for me, when I read Reboot, it made me think of computers, and then it made me think of Daniel, and then I went back to thinking about computers. Um, so for, for me, um, I, I went to, I learned this from Dave, whenever you get a word, you go and look up what it means and begin to draw things out of that. So I went to look up what the word reboot means, even though I had a, sort of an, an idea about what it meant. And it means to reset or to be restored to the intended design and function, which I thought has a lot of, a lot we can draw from spiritually to revive, right? That's another way of, of saying to reboot is to revive. And I just thought, what a brilliant way to kick off 2021. This is the last day of January. We're, it feels like we've been in 21 for ages, but we're about, to, we're about to launch into this year. And we want to do it differently. Every year we start and we're like, oh, this year is going to be different, whatever. But there is actually a fundamental difference about the way that we are supposed to live. Because when we were first designed by God, when we were put into the Garden of Eden, He had a design for us. He had a good design for us. He had a way for us to live. He actually laid it out. He's like, this is how you're supposed to do this. This is how you're supposed to do this. It was a good design. It was an operating system that was brand new. Right? Continuing with the, if anybody knows about computers, operating OS. Um, it was brand new. But then sin came into the picture. Humanity fell. We corrupted the programming. See what I did? No, I'm kidding. I'm going to stop doing that. We corrupted the programming. And we started to do things the way that they were supposed to be done. That good and perfect design became corrupted. It had a virus. No, I'm not. Um, I'm sorry. Um, humanity fell. And what Jesus did was He came to restore. He came to reboot. He came to revive. He came to bring back what we had lost from that period of time. He came to make us new, not just to actually restore, but to make entirely new. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about this morning, is that there are three main areas that what Jesus has done for us and the way that He's restored us into relationship with God, He has restored and given us a new way to live and a new way to operate that doesn't look like the world. When we have the Spirit of God, we are to live a different way from the world. And Sarah was speaking about it on the first day. We want to renew our minds. We want to understand who are we actually supposed to be and why is that different from the world? And why can we no longer live like the world does? Because I'm sure we've all tried. 
after we became Christians, I go back to my sin for a bit. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to live this way. Or I go back to it, not even sin, but just a, a certain way of living. And it just doesn't work anymore because there's been an update to the system and it's just no longer compatible. And we need to know what those things are so that we can actually live out of them. There are three main areas that I want to discuss with you and hopefully shift your mind on using the word of God. The first one is how we work, how we work. The second one is how we fight. And the third one is how we live or what we live out of. God's ways aren't our ways. So these are going to be counterintuitive to you, but hopefully that that excites you. Some of them you might have heard before. Some of them you might have never thought about this way before. Uh, First one is how we work. Genesis 1 from verse 24 says this. Again, we're going back to that original design. Then God said, uh, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and the beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and of the birds and of the air and of the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food, also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw that everything that he had made was good, and indeed it was very Good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And this is important. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he had rested on the seventh day from his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it because he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had created. When were we created? The sixth day. When did God rest? The seventh. The way that everybody lives now, including us, is that we start our week on the Monday and we can't wait to get to the Friday so that we can rest from our work. Yeah? Not how we were designed. Our first full day here was God's full day of rest. Our first experience of a full day was God's day of rest. We begin from rest. Point number one. We work from rest as believers. We serve from a full cup as believers. We don't live like the rest of the world lives, waiting, working and expending ourselves, waiting to rest. We begin our work from a place of rest. This is a big shift going into 2021. I'm not waiting to get to the weekend so that I can rest. I am living in a way that is rested and drawing upon my God, my provider for all the things that I need. So that as I live, I'm pouring out of a full cup. I'm not running on empty all the time. I can't wait to get, I'm preaching to myself, by the way. I can't wait to get to the weekend so that I can take a breath and go and do it all over again. 
And the things that we do to rest should be different from the way that the world rests. And I'll explain that in a moment. But I'll show you what a rested lifestyle looks like. Psalm 23, 1-6 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. It's not empty, it's running over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When I used to think about this, this, this particular chapter, I used to think this is David describing when he's just resting. But he's like, no, he's being led in righteousness. So this is an active process. He's going through the mountains and the valleys. It's like, you know, if I'm, if I'm content, you're spreading a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Even in battle, I'm content in you. If I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, there you are with me. If I'm in all these, whether I'm lying down, walking, sitting, do you notice all the different stages in the psalm? He's still with me and I'm still rested and His goodness and mercy are following me and hedging me behind and before. And I'm living all the stages of my life out of that. The fact that the Lord is my shepherd. We as believers are to work from rest, not rest from work. God does the work and He rests. He's done the work for us. There was a spiritual implication of that is the obvious one. spiritually on the cross, Jesus said it is finished. It was everything that was required of us by the law of God. It is finished. Everything that I need to do before God has been taken care of by the Lord Jesus Christ. It is finished. All that remains for me now is to enter into his rest and to work and live out of that rest, to play out of that rest, to enjoy my life out of that rest, to fight out of that rest. Everything that we do is out of His rest and out of His provision. The world doesn't live that way. The world doesn't think that way because they don't have that rest. But our original design was to work from rest, not for it. We work from rest. Here's the thing. There's a physical implication to all the stuff I'm going to say. I might not touch on all of it, but there's a physical implication to everything that we're saying, right? Physically, there's, I've discovered this in my life. I don't know, somebody's probably written something about it at some point. But to me, there is passive rest and there is active rest. Passive rest has pretty much never rested me in my life. Um, So passive rest is the crown. I'm going to sit in front of that and I'm going to binge nine episodes in a row. Um, I get up from that session feeling like, what the heck just happened to me? Like, I'm... I'm sluggish, I'm not like, I don't feel well rested and I feel this guilt going to sleep of like, what a wasted day. Like, I, I'm, I'm not happy that that's how I spent my weekend or that's how I spent, I'm like, that wasn't a restful thing to do. Um, but then there's active rest. Active rest is doing the things that actually restore my soul. Um, and they're very, very practical things. And by restore my soul, I mean bring me in the presence of the one who restores my soul. I love going for hikes. When I go for a walk and my phone's off and I'm out in the middle of nowhere, it restores my soul. That I mean that in a literal sense. All, I, I look at the leaves, I look at the grass, I look at the trees, I look at the sky and I go, wow, 
these trees have been here hundreds of years before my lifetime and God has kept them standing, the birds in them alive, the weather, the sun coming up and coming down. And I'm just brought back to this place of, wow, the Lord that sustains this untouched place sustains me. He's been sustaining it for thousands of years. He's not going to let me go. It restores my soul. When I play music, it reminds me of who my God is. When I paint, when I read, when I write. But these are active things. These are things I actually do. I don't vegetate in front of some sort of activity. I actually participate in something that draws me nearer to the source of my rest. Because He refills my cup. This passive rest, which all of us I think are familiar with. And then this active rest. My question to you is what activities do you do that stir up your affections for Jesus? That is how we rest. Write that down. I'll ask them again to you at the end. But what activities do you do that stir up your affections for the Lord Jesus Christ? He is the source of your rest. That's what refills your cup. That's what gets you to serve out of a full cup. Not just after the weekend, but every morning. His blessings are new every morning. We are to live and work from rest, not for it. Think practically about what that means for you as you go into this new year. It doesn't have to be this falling flat on my face at the end of each day again and again and again. (coughs) We draw from the full cup of the Lord Jesus Christ. We fight. Uh, How we fight. About to give it away. How we fight. Let me read you. The story, Joshua 6, 1 to 7, one that you're all very familiar with, I'm sure. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king. I'll read that bit again. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city and all the men of war. And you shall go around the city once. And this you shall do. Six days and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the second sound of the trumpet that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Here's the deal. Point number two. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Read it again. God begins by saying to Joshua, look, we get the scene. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. Well, it doesn't sound like we're going in. God begins to speak and he says, See, exclamation mark, I have given you the land. We're going to fight only because God has given the victory. We don't go to fight any other battle. No other battle that you'll read about in the Old Testament. Every time they lose, it's when God doesn't give the victory. It's when God doesn't decree and say, go out. It's when they don't consult Him and He says, go and fight that fight. Because you've already won. From a spiritual implication, right? this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. I fight them knowing that somebody has gone before me and fought that battle ahead of me. Our battles are spiritual. Even the physical ones are spiritual. God has fought them on my behalf and I fight out of His victory. And I'll prove that to you in a second. But there's a second passage that I want to read to you um, to give you a practical understanding of what that looks like in our lives as believers. Um, 
it's, it's a long passage, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 from verse 1. You guys should really, really read this. If you go back and listen to this at some point, read the whole story because it is the pattern on how to fight from victory and how to consult God on every spiritual battle that we enter into. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, Great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazaran Tamar. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. This is how we fight our battles and proclaimed a fast throughout Judah. So I wonder whether we do that when we come into trouble, whether we seek the Lord and whether we fast or whether we just try to Google it instead. Um, So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven to remind God of who he is and his promises? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might? So that there is no one able to withstand you. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever, for them to dwell in it? And he keeps talking to God this way. Um, And then he says to them, uh, he says to God, um, here they are, the enemy, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? Will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, of Levite, son of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and you will see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed down his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with voices loud and high. Amen. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood there and said, Hear me, O Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. And you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. And he had consulted with the people. He had appointed those who should sing to the Lord. And when those who should sing praises of holiness as they went out before the army were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. What happened next is that they got to the top of the hill with the worship team, not people with swords, at the front of the battle. And when they got to the top of the hill, the enemy had already killed themselves. They'd already fought between themselves and all that was left for them was the spoil of the battle. The pattern here is that we fight from the victory that God has already given over sin, over death, over the flesh, over everything that we fight and struggle against. We come to him knowing that he's already done it. We come to him surrendering it to him. 
we come to Him to the, uh, with, and we leave out of His presence with a confidence so high that we don't send the people with swords first, we send the people with trumpets first to sing in front of the army. If you're about to actually face off against an army, you wouldn't send the worship team. You would send people with pikes and spears and shields. That's not what they did. That is the level of faith that these people had against an army that was going to annihilate them. They had no chance. That is the confidence that we have in the victory of God. We fight from victory, not for it. Ephesians 6, 10, 13 says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood today, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. To further illustrate what I'm saying to you. The point isn't to win. The point is to stand. Because the battle's already been won. So just stay standing in the fight. If you stay standing, you've already won. It's not how we view most of the battles that we go into. I have to overcome. I have to. No, Jesus has already done that. You just have to stay standing in the victory. We fight from the victory that has already been declared for us. It's already been given to us. My question to you is what battles do you need to give over to the Lord today? What battles do you need to fight the new way that Jesus has given us to fight? In the spirit. And the final one is how we live or what we live out of. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 says this. I don't want to just give you my points and my opinions. I want to, give you, I want to read you the scripture. So please bear with me as I read you. The scripture, the word of God. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 says this. And you, he made alive. He's speaking about our our identity. This little portion here is about our identity in Christ. And you, he made alive. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all, all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Jesus Christ, uh, to do the works that God has prepared in us beforehand, that we should walk in them. In this passage we get what we were, identity-wise, children of wrath. And now we get what we are, children of God, saved by grace, with good works ahead of us, to walk in them that have been pre-prepared for us to enjoy. A friend of mine at work, um, his name is Joel. He said to me this, this thing that blew my mind once. He's like, you're fully human from the moment that you're born. I would argue before that, but you're fully human from the moment that you're born. But you grow into it. When you look at little Esther, right? She is as human as her dad, right? But her dad has a much deeper and richer experience of what it means to be human than his little daughter Esther, who is still 
figuring that out. But she has so much to grow into, into what it means to be human. But she doesn't become more human as she does it. She just gets a richer experience of what she already is. From a spiritual perspective, as soon as we were born of God, God talks about it in past tense, like we were seated. We were seated. From His point of view, we're already seated. We're already there. We're just catching up to the truth of that in our physical walks. We are spiritually being made alive with God in Christ. We are already spiritually seated in heavenly places. It is finished. The work is done. So we don't live for an identity. We live from our identity. We've been given the grace to joyfully explore and grow into what it means to be born again. What it means to be born of God, what it means to be a child of God. We are fully that thing in the eyes of God from the moment that we are born of Him by His Spirit. But we're catching up to that experience. We're growing into what it means to be a child of God day by day by day. Ephesians three fourteen to 19 says this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, Paul speaking, That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with his might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being grounded and rooted in love. Is that not what we all want? Grounded and rooted in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God doesn't change, his fullness doesn't change, the width, height, and depth of his love don't change, but our experience of it does. We get just just think of just this if this land just went on forever, there's rivers and there's lakes and there's and you just get to explore it. The whole thing is yours and it's safe. There's no snakes. There's no, you just get to enjoy it for the rest of your life. You just get to walk and as if you're in this mansion and you're just opening these different rooms. What's behind this door? What's behind this door? What's behind this door? And you're just exploring it and enjoying it. That is the identity that we've been given in Christ to live out of. You don't have to look for your own. You've already been given one. Go and find out what that means. Go and explore that. Go and live out of that. We have an identity already. The world lives to make a name for itself. People in the world live to make a name for themselves. But let me tell you how Paul, the apostle, lived. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. We don't live like the world lives to make a name for ourselves. We live to make His name known. As we get lost in this amazing identity that we've been given in Christ, we give up this idea that I need to hold on to my own. I need to make a name for myself. No. I, he knows my name and that's enough. I want to make His name known. We don't live for an identity. We live out of the identity we've already been given. We get to Explore that. Until we take our eyes off of ourselves and put them onto Christ, we'll be useless in serving others. I'm constantly worried about myself and how I'm going to be perceived and what's going to happen to me and what this means for me and whatever. But people who serve God with abandon are not people looking at themselves. 
There are people who have just given it all up and said, I don't, I don't matter in this equation. Um, God's taking care of me. I'm here to take care of what He wants me to take care of, which is the epitome of this verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. He'll take care of me, but He's given me something to seek. And it's not my own welfare. It's His kingdom and His righteousness. He takes care of everything else. So my question to you is, what do you need to let go of today to realign yourself with who you were called to be in Christ? We were called to work from rest, not rest from work. We are called to fight from victory, not for victory. We are called to live out of our identity in Christ, not for any other identity. Work's already been done for us. When you install... Back to the computer stuff. When you install new software, okay, it asks you to restart your laptop. If you don't restart your laptop, even though the new software is installed, it doesn't take effect. Daniel can correct me on that if I'm wrong. But that's, that's my experience. That's been my experience. So how do we reboot and restart so that we can actually take these things into effect into our practical lives? And this is my last point. It's just to say this. The way that we renew and restart is by looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. As we look to Him, our lives are transformed into His likeness. That's what our example in Christ is supposed to be. That we saturate ourselves in the Word of God and that we replace these worldly thoughts, this old operating system with the new one. Because that's what's laid out for us in the Word of God. This is how I'm supposed to live. And as I discover that, the the Holy Spirit empowers me to live out of that. And as I look at Christ exemplifying that, I follow Him. And in following Him, I become like Him. And that is the reboot. That is a constant thing that we're going through every single day to become more and more and more like Jesus. And I'll leave you and less and less like the world. Um, and I'll leave you with this verse here, 2 Corinthians 5.17, which is this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen.